Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. And now here's Pastor Ralph with part two of his message entitled, Faith That Knows Grows. God has a plan for every one of our lives. God knew you before you were born. God knew you when you were a child. God knew you when your life was relatively unblemished. And he had a plan there and said, I want to make this out of you. And you and I missed the plan. We went someplace else. God's plan is still intact. It's still in his mind. And when we're willing to come and embrace him, then he's willing to begin to build that plan into our life. And so it says that Abram believed God and God began to build righteousness into the guy. Remember last week we talked about the lack of integrity in Abram? Well, see, what happens when you start to walk with God is God starts to change the decisions that you make and the way you feel about things and the way you look at life. And he'll strip the old habits out of your life and start to put some new ones in there. And and God's grace and mercy begin to follow us and, and walk with us in our lives. Am I making sense? Abram asks God the hard questions. God gives him the good answers. Abram believes. And God then has a better handle on Abraham to build life into him and build righteousness in him. Genesis 15 The third question I put is right at verse 7. What do we gain from ritual and sacrament? And you're going, what has this got to do with anything? You'll see in a minute. Uh, Verse 7, the Lord told Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that you'll give it to me? Now, Abram's just believed God, and now he's asking God for a sign. You know, uh, you read the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. And here's Gideon. God sends him on a mission. And Gideon goes, give me a sign that you'll really do this. And God says, okay. And he does the thing Gideon asks. And Gideon goes, well, if you really mean to do it, would you do this? And, you know, there's, but see, here, here's God. God could say, knock it off, buddy. And instead he does, okay, I'll do this. I want you to know that you can trust with me and, and that you can walk with me. And so Abraham asks one more time. Basically, he's asking for a sign. Uh, Oh, God, how will I be sure that you'll give me the thing that you've talked about? In other words, what Abram is doing is he's believing God, but it's a faith that's mixed with doubt, much like the faith that you and I often have. I believe, but I'm still struggling. I want to give you a scripture reference. Over in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, there's somebody that comes to the Lord and, and asks for healing for their child. And the guy comes and says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. All in, in the same mouthful. All in the same paragraph. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, I trust you. Help the, the lack of trust that's inside of me. I, I'm, I'm confident in you, but, but, but steady me. You know, I was in Taiwan a couple of years ago, and you know, Ka'ala, that's getting ready to start the church here, uh, was with me. And, and um, we, were, we were in Kaohsiung Harbor, and we, we got on a little sampan to go across the harbor. And just as we were pushing off, and we're probably like three and a half, four feet away from the dock, a guy on a motor scooter uh, missed the boat, and he wants to catch it. And he did exactly what you're afraid I'm going to say he did. He comes zinging right down to the dock and launched himself. As he he hit the, 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 the back of the dock, he pops a wheelie, and boom, he's airborne, and he puts it right down on the on the on this boat. And the sampan is like it's a narrow little thing, and it's crowded with people. And he saw a vacant spot, and he puts it down and hits the brakes at the same time. He flew out. I mean, it looked like a Jackie Chan movie. And he's right there. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. You know, guys, y'all y'all like Jackie Chan? 
One, one of my friends talked to him on the phone this week. Somebody in my mini church talked to Jackie Chan. I touched him after. <laughs> uh, anyway, now, that guy has got faith mixed with faith. Now, his faith isn't in God. It's, it's in his ability to ride that little bike. If my wife got on that sampan, she would be having faith that gets her on the darn thing, and then she'd be having fear that makes her quake the whole time she's there, hanging on to me. She'd be going, Ralph, I got faith. Help my unbelief. You know what I'm talking about? I, I trust that we're going to make it across the harbor. At the same time, I'm filled with torment that we're going to go down. And that's the way some of us come within the process of growth in the Lord. That's coming to faith, and we're struggling to faith, and, and Abram is really right there. He's saying, God, I believe you, uh, but give me a sign so I know I can believe you. And, and then the Lord told him, verse 9, and, and it seems like the most ridiculous thing. He says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram took all these and killed them. And he cut each one down the middle, and he laid the halves side by side. And he did not, however, divide the birds in half. Some vultures came down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. And that evening, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and he saw a terrifying vision of darkness and horror. Now, what in the world is this all about? Cutting these animals down the middle and all this kind of thing. Um, I, I want to give you another scripture. This, this process is called cutting a covenant. And the scripture references Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 18 and 19. And in Jeremiah, uh, the prophet is writing to the people and he says, you know this business that you do in your culture when you cut a covenant with each other. And he describes it there in Jeremiah. We read about it in other ancient history. This was their way of sealing off a business deal. It wasn't God's way. It was man's way. It wasn't God originating the idea. The idea existed in the culture that Abram lived in. It was God coming to Abram in a vision saying, you go do this thing that you guys do. In other words, you live out this ritual that you guys live out, and then I'll meet you in the midst of the ritual. Well, what the heck is the ritual about doing this bloody thing of cutting this animal? You know, I, I, I told you, I've been running off at the mouth about it, but about the trip that I... I went on to Mongolia recently. I, I went to Mongolia a year ago, and I had one impression of the country. I come back this year, I have a whole different impression. Last year, I was in the city, and a large urban area dominated by the Soviets for 70 years. You see Statue of Lenin in the street, Russian tanks set up as a monument. I come home, and I have one view of Mongolia. This year, they take me 13 hours at 22 miles an hour out into the country, away out in the Thule's, and it's a, it's a culture very much like in the Old Testament. They keep sheep and goats. And the last night that I was there, I'm having to teach a seminar. i got a group of people about like this, and it would be very much like I'm standing here teaching, the guys here translating, and right there at the back door, uh, they, they kill a goat and cut him all right up and take his innards out and, and take all the meat out. And it's just gruesome and awful. And they think they're having a hot dog roast, you know? These guys come up, and they, they, they roast it in the fire, and, and uh, they got blood all over them. Three guys just coated in blood from head to toes. And it's like, bring on the s'mores, you know? They're just having a good time. And uh, I just... But you, you, you get the idea that everything, everything in their life revolves around these animals. And so here's this deal in the life of these ancient shepherds. And they didn't have ways of sealing off a business deal. They didn't have computers. They didn't have anything to keep record of a deal that we made. And so what they would do is that they would take an animal or several animals 
And they do this gory, horrible thing, and they'd split it right down the middle. Now, entrails and all. The worst picture you can put in your mind is the picture you ought to have in your mind right now. And they'd lay the parts down there, and then the two guys that, you know, one guy agrees to sell land to another, and the other guy's going to make him payments, you know, of so many hundred sheep and so many goats or whatever. And they make this promissory, but they don't, can't make a promissory note, they cut a covenant. And so they make promises to each other, and then the two of them walk between the gory, bloody halves, and they say a little thing, may the gods do this to you if you don't keep your word. And it was their way of, of grappling for something that was absolute, something that could give them trust. We're, I'm trusting terror to force you to keep your word. Now, God never invented that. But God came and said, Abram, that thing that you guys do, you do that and I'll meet you in the midst of it. Does this make sense? It makes sense, but it's still a little weird to us, right? <laughs> now, now, we're going to see that God represents himself with this smoking lantern that passes through that. But before we get to there, I want you to see this one thing. And it says, as, uh, That evening, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. The word in the Hebrew is actually trance. Something spiritual happened to him. Uh, on a different plane. He fell into a trance and he saw a terrifying vision of darkness and horror. Now, you go, well, that's really nice, God. Uh, you have this guy do this bloody, gory thing. Uh, you knock him into a trance and then you give him a, a vision of darkness and horror. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Well, it goes on in the next few verses and tells us what the vision was. Abram was given a vision of the future. The darkness and horror wasn't like a horror movie. It was he was given a picture of the travails of the people of Israel. Who knows, Abram might have had a glimpse of what goes on in Palestine today. But he was given a vision of what the future would be about. And, and that's a heavy and, and horrifying thing. I mean, how many of us would really want to know even our own future? You know, I, I don't want to know how I'm going to die. Because if I knew that, I'd be afraid and avoiding whatever looked like that all the rest of my life. Um, I, I, the, the, the nearest we get to knowing what's going to be the end of civilization is in the book of Revelation. And, and the book of Revelation all through it says you're going to get a blessing by reading this book and knowing these things. And when you read the book of Revelation, you're caught with two thoughts. On the one, it's kind of terrifying to read that book. It's fearful. On the other hand, there's a sense of, well, I do see how it's going to happen. And, I, and, and if God could predict 2,000 years ago things that I'm reading about in, in tomorrow morning's newspaper, you know, one of the things that you read in, in the Old Testament is that Turkey, because you read it by geography and the ancient names of nations, Turkey, which has been aligned with NATO and the United States, going back to the, to the 1930s or the 1920s, is, is going to end up on the other side, according to the scripture. As, as we look at what goes on in the, in the midst of an ever more violent world, we look at all of these things and you fit them into the book of Revelation, which tells us the future, it gives you a, a sense of comfort that if God could predict it would turn out this way, for thousands of years, God is in control, and I have security in that. Right? At the same time, that's a vision of darkness and horror. And so Abram was given a vision of the future and, and all of this, and it, and it rattled him, and yet, then God blessed him. Well, what does that have to do with this question I put up there? Come back to the slide before. What do we gain from ritual and sacrament? Well, I think that... Let me, let me use some words. Here's, here's some sacraments. Wedding. Baptism. Here's ritual. Getting up in the morning and reading your Bible and praying. Coming to church on time and worshiping the Lord and, and, and praising God. 
going to mini church on, or something like that on a regular basis, maybe getting together with somebody every Thursday for lunch at work that's a Christian and just talking with each other about what's going on and you pray and whatever. What do we gain from those kinds of things? Well, what I think we gain is this. In fact, let me put it in this way. If Abram fell into a trance and God gave him a vision of the future, do you think he would have fallen into the trance and God given him that vision if he hadn't followed through on this cutting a covenant business? See, God said, you do this and I'll meet you there. Abram did it, and then God met him there. Something supernatural happened. What I think happens to us is we embrace God at the level of baptism. A person gets baptized, and what is baptism? It's merely dunking somebody in water. But the Bible says it's a statement that we make of something that's happened to us in our faith. I died to the world, I'm alive to Christ, and then God meets us in baptism and something supernatural happens in our life. And if we never bother to go through the act of baptism, we're never going to meet God at that level of Him doing that thing. You show up here and you worship the Lord and, 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 and you come eight times in a row and it's just singing praise to God and there's something good about glorifying God for what He's done in your life. The ninth time you show up, something wonderful happens. You intersect with God in a way that you're not used to intersecting with God. You're sitting here, Keith's leading worship, we're all singing songs, and suddenly something happens inside of you. You meet the Lord in a, in a different way. It doesn't happen every single time, but here's the deal. It won't happen at all if you don't put yourself in the position for it to happen to you. I did a wedding last Saturday, and, and the couple called up on Tuesday before and canceled the thing. They had it. They didn't want anything to do with each other. Didn't care if they ever saw each other again in their whole life forget it, and they were mad at half of us because we were trying to help them get married. Uh, it was just, you couldn't believe this. And, uh, and on Thursday, they called back and said, we changed our minds. <laughs> on Saturday, we had a lovely wedding in a beautiful garden in Waimanalo. And they had to stand there knowing that they were standing before God and reading the scriptures and make the commitments and the promises to each other that they've been making for months. But now there's something different. We're engaging God in this process. And it did something to them. It marked their heart because God is involved and intersects with them. And yet there's people who say, oh, a wedding is just a piece of paper. Yes. See, if we don't allow ourselves and avail ourselves of the rituals that are in our life, and we have rituals. We don't like to use that word, especially in churches like ours, but we have rituals. If we don't allow ourselves the rituals, if we don't embrace the sacraments, we're, what we're doing is we're keeping God away from a playing field that he wants to operate on in our life. And when we bring ourselves into these rituals, if you would, then you're in a place where something wonderful can happen. won't happen every day, but can happen. Does that make sense to you? Well, let's go on to the last one. The last question is, why does God tell us more than we ask? And as you go on here, Abram's asking, God, give me a sign that you're going to bless me and do the things that you said. And God gives him a trance and he sees this vision of the future. And, and then it says in verse 13, the Lord told Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They'll be oppressed as slaves for 400 years, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they, your people, will come away with great wealth, but you will die in peace at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land when the sin of the Amorites has run its course. And then as the sun went down and became dark, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcass. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. And then he goes on and defines the land. 
a little closer. Well, what's that all about? Abram said, how will I know that you're going to give me a son? That's all he's asking. How will I know that you're going to give me the son that you promised? And, and then God says, well, go cut this covenant thing. He does this. And then he falls into this trance. And he's given this vision of the future. And in the vision, God says, Here's, you're not just going to have one son. You're going to have this nation I've told you about. The whole nation's going to be carried off into captivity. And then they're going to get to go free 400 years later. You, however, will die in peace. When your people come out, they won't just come out. They'll come out wealthy. They'll be slaves, but they'll get paid for this, their time as slaves. And they'll come back not just to somewhere. They'll come to this land. And as you, as you read that, uh, if you know the Bible at all, it's the story of the Exodus. A very good thing to do is to read the book of Genesis, uh, beginning at about chapter 12, where Abram's life starts. That way you get to skip all the begats things, you know, the, the father of the son of, the father of the son of. And then read all the way through Genesis and all the way through the book of Exodus. It's very exciting. And in Exodus, you see the story of these people as they're carried into captivity. They go there to Egypt as guests of the king. That king dies, a new king comes, and he begins to view the people of Israel as his slaves. But something remarkable happens. You know, it would be very hard for a small family in ancient days, living as nomads, to grow into a large family that had wealth without being attacked by robbers on all sides. But it would be even harder for that large family to turn into a stable village. And because you build a village, you've got to build walls, you've got to keep yourself protected. It would be harder yet for that little village to turn into a small nation. Well, this group of people, 72 people, who went to Egypt turned into a nation of 600,000 men plus women and children, probably 2 million people. And interestingly, as bad as the slavery was, the slavery actually caused them to be protected because the Egyptians saw them as an economic commodity and protected them. And so they had virtually no enemies because they had the security of the Egyptians. And then God began to act and force the Egyptians to let them go. And not only did they let them go, they blessed them financially on the way out. Exactly what God prophesied to Abram is what happened to Abram and his people and his family. Does that make sense? Now, but come back to this. Why does God tell, ask, tell us more than we ask? You know, the question that you might ask is, why is the Bible so stinking long? I, I mean, wh what is there here? Mine has, has, counting all the little concordance and all the helps and stuff in the back, 2,200 pages. That's a lot of book. Why is there so much? Why does God tell us more than we ask? Well, if you're one of those people who's a Hebrew person living in Egypt as a slave, and you're going, where is God? Why did God forsake us and this and that? You'd have the ancient scrolls of Scripture where God prophesied to your forefather Abram, this is the way it's going to turn out. And it could cause you to have enough faith to go, well, I guess we have to just live through this thing. If God predicted it, he must still be in control, and we're going to make it out of here, and it could give you hope. Does that make sense? And so why does God give us so much? I mean, the Bible, if you're new as a Christian, you forget Genesis. Go read the Gospel of John and get to know Jesus. Don't worry about the whole darn thing. Just get enough of it that you, st you have a starting place. But then again, why does he make so much? It's so hard to get my hands around the whole thing. Well, because he's giving us the larger context of the world we live in and the larger context of history as it moves forward so that we can see, here's my small little place in God's great big plan and I can see where I fit into the thing, and I can also see the track record of God working in history, primarily this business of prophesying things, and then the things He says are going to happen do happen, and I can have confidence in Him, and it gives me hope. In other words, it becomes what we started talking about in the beginning. When we talked about fear. The, the Word of God becomes food for my faith. 
And that's why there's so much of it. You know the begats business? You just never read it. Who needs it? You don't. I do. Why are the begats in there? Why did God say, this person was the father of this person, and he lived this many years, and he had a son, and then he had a son this many years later, and all that? You know know why? It lets us backdate the Bible. You can go from the time of Christ backwards, and then you can fit the events in the Bible into the rest of history, because that's how ancient people kept track of history. So we need that, so we know the bigger context. You don't exactly get thrilled reading it, but it's there, so it contextualizes things. And so... The, the, the message tonight, faith that knows grows. If I take the time to know what God is saying, and I take the time to get intimate with God in the rituals, in the, the, by rituals I mean the routines, the spiritual routines of my life. If I take time to know His Word, it becomes the bread of life to me. My faith's going to grow. And fear may come knocking on my door, but I'm going to come out of it in a way that says, I don't need you. I can choose against you. I'm walking in faith here, and I'm, and I'm going to live in confidence in the God who loves me, who made me and who loves me. Is this good? Yes. Well, let's end it with prayer. Lord, we come to you tonight, and we, we went a long time tonight, but it was, it was rich stuff. And as we look at the life of this guy, Abram, we can all relate so well to it. And uh, Lord, we, we pray that some of the lessons he learned and he struggled with uh, will be easier for us because we can learn from his example. Uh, And Lord, then we'll be acting out what we're saying. We're gaining faith food by getting in the scripture. And and we begin to see how you operated in somebody else's life. And it can teach us how you'll operate in our life. And and, and Lord, what we would like to do is is become stronger than we are. We'd like to know you better than we do. Uh, Lord, we'd like to see the value in our spiritual routines and our rituals and what have you. that, That we're putting ourselves in a spot where you can grab a hold of us. And you can begin to bring what you want to into our lives. And so, God, we, as, as we learn the lesson here of the life of Abraham, a lesson that, that faith and fear are going to coexist, but faith can grow to where it conquers fear, uh, let us enter into that lesson and come to a place where our faith is growing, is processing, is getting stronger. In Jesus' name. Now keep your eyes closed, and we're going to pray a prayer that says, basically, God, I'd like to take you up on your offer to work your plan in my life. I've tried my plan, and I found out it didn't work so well. And I'm kind of at the end of my rope in terms of me running this show. And so I, I would like to come to you and say, God, I give you permission to become the leader in my life. I want to put my trust in you. And if you would like to join me in a prayer that simply says, God, I'm, I'm, I'm transferring jurisdiction of my life from my control to your control, then I'd like to lead you in prayer. When I say lead you, I mean I'll pray it out loud. You pray with me silently. And, and But join in. Inside your brain, pray the words that I'm praying. God will hear you, and God will answer you, and come and make some, some powerful differences in your life. And uh, if you're going to pray with me, though, I want you to tell me that we're praying together. Everybody in the room's got their eyes closed, and so the signal's going to be that I'm going to ask you, if you want to join me in prayer, to tell me we're praying together by just looking at me. And so if you want to uh, pray with me, we're going to pray in about one minute. But between now and then, if you, if you choose to pray with me, I want you to tell me we're praying together by just looking up. Everybody else has got their eyes closed. I see one guy looking at me. Good. Who else? And you? Super. And you? Good. Join me in this prayer. God, I believe that you have a plan for my life, and I also believe that I've missed it because I know that I've held you at a distance. And if that's sin, then I surely am a sinner. 
but I've come to, to know enough about you and to, to trust enough in you that I'm willing to give you a new shot in my life. And so I'm, I'm inviting you tonight, come into my life. Forgive me my sin. I understand that you sent your son into this world to take the guilt of my sin away from me so I could be forgiven. God, forgive my sin. Embrace me. Lord, I'm asking that you would assume responsibility to protect this life of mine and to, to lead me and guide me and to make my life work according to your plan. Lord, I, I really believe you have a better plan than the one that I've worked out. And so I'm, I'm willing to, to walk after you and trust you in that. And I pray that you'd come and teach me about yourself and your love and that I'd know your grace, I'd know your peace, I'd know your way. In Jesus' name I offer this prayer to you. Amen. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 